Amen. I couldn't help but roll up my pant legs here just to let you know. Yes, Tom, my wife dressed me. <laughs> and and I, I do this for a reason, too. Uh, last week I talked to you about some of the, the points or some of the truths that God gave me in the 47 years of walking with him uh, and wanted to share those with you. If it did you any good, if it does you any good, I, I do know that most of the time when I see people walking in maturity or people that are getting old, and I always ask them, I ask them, you know, what are the things that God taught you? And so we started that last week, and we built it on a foundation that many of you will look at on the diagram that you have, and we'll kind of continue to build on this. But I wanted to review real quickly the foundation, and one of the things I wanted to review is why I wore these socks. And that is that if you know that Steve's going through Esther, the book of Esther, and you remember, I think somebody will cover it if they haven't covered it already, when uh, there was a terrible, terrible uh, plan to annihilate the, the Jews in all of Jerusalem, and they were going to destroy all of them. And they fretted, and they worried, and he, he fasted, and he, uh, Malachi got in sackcloth, and uh, he just terrified. And uh, Esther, who pled for him, remember, she'll come and she'll say, if I perish, I perish. But the conclusion you'll see in a couple chapters later is not only did they uh, not get taken over, but Jerusalem actually was given the power by God to take over those that were capturing them. I say that for this reason. Our, our first pillar was that God is sovereign and he's in control. And he's in control of this country like he is in control of anything else. And he says that if you will go ahead and believe in me and trust in me, you will not lose one bit of sleep in the night. It'll be sweet. And I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this. I know the one that holds the future, and, uh, and therefore I can rest in it, rejoice in it, and be glad in it and live within the present moment. We talked about God being loving and kind and that every act that he, he performs, he allows, is out of loving kindness. It overflows with mercy. And then we talked about the other foundation is having an eternal perspective and, and having a view that always looks to another land, that we weren't made for this land. And sometimes when we decide that we can be really fulfilled and content and happy and have everything complete in this land, there's something still that gnaws inside of us, something gnawing inside of us that says, this is not completely it. Romans says that every soul, every creation, every tree, every bird, every fish, every blade of grass is longing for the day that when God comes and that everybody will be able to express that which they were designed to express. We are looking for another land, and that was the other foundation. On top of that, you'll see a little platform. Uh, I don't know, I'm not a builder, so I don't know. I think that's just, I call that the, the slab. Uh, I don't think that we could believe these things. I don't think we could exercise the things that we're going to talk about today if we didn't have faith. And I emphasize to everybody here that unless you somehow have a time of solitude where you and God, whatever that might look like for you, that it will not last. Manna is made for this day. The truths that you heard last week will not actually help you today. 
they will stir you to a reminder, but until you get alone with God, I believe that unless I'm alone with God on a regular basis, these things don't have weight. They don't have the power. They don't have the glue to stick in my life. And then I went into some other things last week, and I won't do those. I did have a, a, a couple notes I just wanted to clarify. Uh, some people uh, just wanted to make sure that you did not hear what I did did not say, but I might have said it. I never know my words anymore. Uh, and that is, I said, we have an obligation as believers to be joyful. We have an obligation to let that joy that's been poured by the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit in our life, we have an obligation to let that come out when you're around people and not always just be gloomy. And, but I do want you to know that the Bible does say there's a time to mourn and a time to laugh. There's a time to weep and there's a time to rejoice. I'm not saying that when everything, uh, just circumstances are horrible, that you have to skip around and just be bubbly. But I am saying in the midst of that, there is something about a believer that carries a joy that is attractive. It is actually, it's like a magnet. It draws people to you because what is it that they have? What is it that Paul had when he was in prison in all kinds of horrible circumstances? And he says, I rejoice. I continue to rejoice. Matter of fact, the word there says, I have an obligation to rejoice. That's what I was pointing out last week. I'm not at all saying that you shouldn't have uh, times where you weep, but just let your seasons be in that. Today we're going to cover a lot of different issues. Like I said last week, I am leaving some of these things that God taught me to tell to my children and my family and my children's children. And, but so other, other things I would ask you to see if they help. I told you last week if it, would, if it could, to first of all, think for yourself, what are the things that really have had an impact in your life? And the reason that I think that's really important is uh, the, the author of the book of Timothy, Paul was writing Timothy, and Timothy obviously had written him a couple letters before this book because you'll see that Paul's response to Timothy is he's, he's telling them things that he must have talked about. Timothy had been discipled by Paul, Timothy had been discipled by the person that was discipled by Jesus. Remember, Jesus spent 14 years in the wilderness with uh, Paul, teaching him the new covenant, teaching him his life, and he poured that into Timothy. And yet, in the midst of Timothy's life, he became very confused. There were a lot of people that were teaching things that were adding on to the works of Christ. And obviously, he must have wrote something to Paul that said, I am confused, Paul. And Paul's response to him, in response to his stomach aches, in response to some different things he called, he gave him some advice, but he said, Timothy, remember this. Remember the few things that you have become certain of and have learned, and just continue in those few things. Just continue in those few things. As I've taught for 47 years and different times of speaking, I have taught a lot of things. There's been a lot of words come out of these mouths, and I know someday I will regret them. There'll be a lot burned up. But I have come to know a few things that I know and I believe for certain. And that's what I ask you to do is ask yourself, what is it that I can hold to? That when, you know, when things and circumstances get tough, that I can go back to those pillars and hold on to those pillars. 
And those pillars not only was learned in trials and fire and hardships in my life, but they've been learned through friends. They've been learned through people that I look at and I said, why do they remain so faithful? What is it? And they will tell me a few things and I've gleaned from them. And so I'm going to go through as many as we can get through today and then uh, I'm done. Okay. And the rest go to somebody else. The first one that I think uh, that I would say that today I'd like to talk about is that for years when I became a believer, I was so in love with the Word of God and I was so in love with understanding the truth, and I became pretty good at uh, at least studying and knowing the Scriptures. But I found that the Scriptures, when they're just the, the written Word of God, they, they can become very uh, divisive. They can uh, cause you to be arrogant because you know something somebody else doesn't know. They put you in a lot of arguments where you kind of look for arguments because you've got the, uh, the apologetics and, and you've got some of the ways that you can argue to people. And throughout the course of my years, the older I've gotten, the more that that has become less important. Not the Word of God, but the more that knowing these things has become less important. Listen to some of these scriptures that, that began to hit me over the last 10 years of my life. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do not let kindness and truth ever leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. He will abide before God forever who has appointed loving kindness and truth that they may follow you. And by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is covered for and atoned for. When the disciples were confused of all these people, he said, they were coming to him and they said, who, in the world, who, who, is, who are your disciples? Who are the true ones? And remember in uh, John 13, 33, he says, my disciples are those that love one another. And he goes on later on and he says, if you want to know those that are mine, those that are mine are the ones that are reflecting the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and kindness and truth and loyalty. And I began to kind of research who had the greatest impact in my life as I've grown up. And I've been, I've been really honored and privileged to be among people that are very, very godly men. And I realized it was never necessarily the teachings. It was their life of kindness and truth and loyalty. And I said, God, I do not want to stand on the side of always somehow having the, the right theological answer and I want to go ahead and be able to say, God, you have poured into me loving kindness and you've poured into me truth. I want those to be displayed out of me at every opportunity that I am around people so that what I take in from you can be splashed onto people around me and that that's what I want to be known for way more than my theological information. So that's one truth. And it, and it began to just go and set me free because loving kindness and truth is easy because it's been poured into me. Right alongside that, uh, this was one of the, the answers that uh, Charles Swindoll gave, and, and I was glad he gave it because I was starting to come to this conclusion myself. He said, let me quote, airtight theologies will be challenged by life circumstances, so be open for change. C.S. Lewis said, 
I dislike this certain Christian doctrine that we're all elaborately prepared, they're so eloquently served, they're like a sauces in a, in a kitchen. To him, too much definition could disguise or even destroy the very basic content of the doctrine itself. And as he noted with distaste, the blood that has been shed in the kitchens where theologians with contrary recipes, they have sauntered each other for centuries and centuries. Be simple with your faith. And I think that sometimes we get and we separate ourselves because of doctrine. We have 212, that's an estimated thing, I don't know where they came up with this, different denominations in America. 212 because we all have different theologies. I'm not saying that some of the, the, the leaning of different gifts should be in different places, but I think that sometimes we have so often begun to be so tight in our theology and so airtight that we have lost the ability to go ahead and let our doctrine be the simplicity of Jesus Christ, just Jesus and him alone, and it begins to carry out itself in love and kindness. So I just challenge you to be careful when you study. Uh, God's not as explainable as you think he is. Uh, the moment I think I can explain God, I just absolutely throw up my hands, and I've quoted you my two favorite verses in Scripture in the last probably five years of my life, and they, they still hold true today. Now, tomorrow they might change. But the one is in Proverbs 30, and it says, I have come to understand that I am more stupid than any man. And the other verse is quoted three times in the Old Testament. It says, O Lord God, thou knowest. I may not understand, but you understand, and I don't really have to know if you understand. And it is amazing what that has done to my life, and it has done to my attitude in life. I just don't have to know anymore. That makes sense to some of you. I told you last week that we had talked to the former pastor that was here, uh, Pastor Robert Graham. I had a long conversation with him, and and we were talking, and I asked him in the middle of that, uh, I told him that what I was talking on. He said, wow, that is really interesting. Send me your notes. And I said, well, I'll do better. I'll send you Swindoll's notes. And, uh, and he said, well, send them both. And I said, what do you think in your life has made some of the greatest impact in your life? He didn't really hesitate very long. He said to me, Friendships. Relationships, friendships have probably had the greatest impact in my life. They have held me close when I start wandering over here. They have encouraged me when I needed encouragement. Psalm 16 says, and, and uh, as if for the godly ones that are in the earth, they are all of my delight. My delight comes from the saints that are in the earth. I found myself in life searching for all kinds of things and trying to achieve, and at first it was trying to achieve with my abilities in sports, and I would go 100 miles an hour this direction or achieve in your fame of whatever it was, but I found out that the achievement was only felt comfortable if there were relationships involved in the midst of it. And people say, well, I would love to have friends. I encourage you, then be a friend. Let kindness loving kindness and truth be yours, and you will find that what you're really looking for in life is friends. 
And Rob said, that is it. And he says, when I have times when I, I, I'm away and I'm in solitude and I miss friends, he says, I realize I'm missing one of the greatest, greatest desires of my heart. Sorry to say, he, he said, I, I really don't miss Rimrock in teaching, but I miss the friends and the relationships up there. Deeply do I miss those. Here's another one that I don't know how to explain to you, but this one really has given me freedom and probably victory over most things in my life. And I wrote down on your little sheet, it says, practice the presence of God. And if I were you, I would develop your own way of saying that. I've asked a lot of people that, and I'll share with you what that means to me. But those of you that have responded to God's call upon your life and you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it says that he that has the Son has the Spirit. They don't come in pieces. And so God inhabits you. He has made himself to dwell in you. He's not going ahead and leaving you out here. When we always say, oh, God, be with us today, it's really a foolish prayer. I can't go anywhere he doesn't go. I can't fake him out and have him stay over here. He's, he's in me. And when it says, when Jesus, the last night, he says, abide in me as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. You'll bear no fruit apart from me. I'm leaving, not to leave you orphans. I'm leaving so that now I'm with you. I will be able to be in you at all times. So rather than just being with me when I'm around you, I will now be in you in the same way that the Father has been in me and you've witnessed what it's like to live as a human on this planet by letting God dwell in me. I can now live in you and you can now live the way man was designed by, by letting the life of me live in you. We are to remind ourselves of that daily, hourly, moment by moment. Whatever phrase you find that helps you be reminded of that, use it. I walk up here on the way walking up here. I am not thinking about the message. I am saying, God, you are in me. I'm going to practice your presence in me. I'm not going up there apart from you. You are in me. You dwell in me. And this is what it means that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I that live any longer, but the life of Christ that lives in me. Whatever it is and whatever little phrases you use that remind you that you're not alone, that he inhabits your life, will empower you. Proverbs says that if you'll seek wisdom, which is related to Jesus, and search for understanding, which is receiving the Holy Spirit, it says all of these things will be present with you. But remind you, bind them around your neck, tie them so that you won't forget them, that God is in you and he's in you all the time. If I have a conflict with my wife, not even 20 seconds into the conflict, I say, God, I wanna practice your presence that you are in me and you inhabit me. It is amazing how different I respond to conflict. When I have struggles and trials, and I, I feel like, oh gosh, what are we gonna do with this? And after last week, I was kinda bragging about trials aren't that big a deal, and then I have a whole bunch this week. And uh, I had to say all the time, you're in this, you're not surprised by it at all. Practice the presence of God, I think it's key. I think it's key. There was uh, in 19, I think it was 1974, uh, no it wasn't, it was 19, I don't remember, it was a while ago. 
I, I've always shared this with a lot of people, and, and you know what, I, when I start telling people that this was what was happening, I noticed that most people that I talked to says I wasn't alive yet. And, uh, but there was a principle that God used a man to share something, and that principle literally, literally changed my relationships. We called it the principle of receiving. I've taught on it here when Rob Graham was here. I taught, so it must have been 12, 13 years ago. And basically what it is is this in a nutshell, but it has been a pivotal truth in my life. You have a spouse, a parent, a child, a boss, a friend that is in your relationship. And I believe in the principle of receiving, you have two possibilities with every relationship. You either have a spirit of receiving that person or you have a spirit of rejecting that person. You can't hide it. Receiving simply means this. If I use my wife, I would say this, that my wife is perfectly designed by God, and she is the perfect gift for me to complete in me those things that God has desired in my life that I would reflect the marriage that's going to come between my bride Jesus and I. My wife is perfectly suited for me. I'm not saying that things she does are always right. I'm not saying that God isn't still working in her life. But I came to the conclusion that that woman is my perfect mate. It did two things. Number one, it freed me to receive her in that way so that she could become everything that God designed her to be as my wife. And when it happens, I am amazed after 42 years or something like that with my wife. <laughs> the good news, she has no clue. She, her date, she doesn't remember the date, so I'm all right there. So, and I am amazed that I think, wow, after 42 years, what else can this woman do for me? And what else can he do? The second thing in the principle of receiving is, is that it, she, if I allow her to be received as a gift, she is going to work in my life and clean up things in my life that I have tried for years and years to clean up. But when I receive her, all of a sudden, I can now work in those areas, let God work in those areas, and I become more conformed to the image of Christ. She perfects me. The things that I would have changed instantly about her, now I'm thinking, oh, God, do not remove those until they're done working in my life. If you want more information on that, check. We'll give you a whole bunch on it, but it was freeing to me, and my marriage has never changed, and neither has my other relationships. I grew up with an alcoholic dad. I started applying this to my dad when he was alive, and it's amazing. He became my best friend. I began to realize that you didn't make any mistake. This dad was perfectly suited for me. I'm not saying his alcoholism is good. I'm saying that as I received my dad, he became perfect for me and he began to do things in my life and I basically said God all that you've given me is gift it is good everything coming down from on high is good and that principle was amazing what it did here's another thing that happened this was not that long ago this was probably one of the most recent ones and you've heard me talk about it in here before Every time I read scripture, even Proverbs 3, because I always read the proverb of whatever day it is, in Proverbs 3, it, it hit on this again and again, and that is that I believe that you and I were designed to be the container for the relationship of God in us 
so that we could embrace in that intimate relationship so that it would overflow out of us onto other people. And I found out that as I began to look how to give into other people's lives, I began to find my joy just beginning to increase and increase and increase, and it couldn't be robbed. It wasn't just giving money. That's part of it. It could be material things. It might be something you see somebody needs. It might be a compliment that you see that somebody deserves. It might be time that you need to do. But I began to do this where I go, and it hardly ever is not present. I'm going along, and I am looking amongst people, and I'm finding out as the presence of God is being practiced, who are you wanting to give to now? And I cannot believe that all of a sudden it'd be like one of you lights up, and I realize I'm going to give to that person In doing that, it took me off of my own uh, frustration. It took me off my own greed. It took me off of me not being able to be content. And I began to focus outward. And I cannot tell you the difference it started making in my life. And then it became hilariously fun. And I didn't end up having less for doing it. I ended up being blessed more and more. It's like the verse that says, when God says, test me in this giving and see that I won't open up the windows and I'll start raining on you what you gave and you'll have to get, try to get out of the way because so much is going to be coming to you. Whatever that decides to be, whether God does that in joy or whatever he does it in compliments, it is amazing what will happen. You give a compliment, you give a compliment, you see something and you say, Mike, I want to tell you something that I just have really, I've always known, but I've never let you know this. And I would give him a compliment of who he is and what he is. And, and it's amazing. I don't know what it does to him, but to me it's like I left there with more joy. But I would go home and I would get a letter in the mail, somebody that wrote to me and says, you may not remember me, but 32 years ago you spoke into my life and my life has been blessed and I want to thank you. This starts returning to me. So looking for opportunities to give rather than to get, I think, was one of the big things that began to change my life. We talked about being thankful. Here's one that I'm continually looking at, and I challenge you to think about this one. And this one you're going to have to really let your brain think about for a while. Your flesh and your flesh patterns are very ugly and very selfish. And they will continually surprise you of how warped you and I can be in our flesh. Your weaknesses, your besetting sins are good to see and good to identify because they will cause you to come to a broken dependence upon God and realizing that you and I cannot live this Christian life. It is impossible. And the more I attempt, the more I fail, and the more I fail, the more miserable I get. And I have to throw up my hands and I have to say, oh God, I cannot live this Christian life. And God says, perfect, you're just the man I'm looking for now. Because in that midst of that brokenness, I can work. He said, turn your weaknesses, Bill, into a surrendered vessel and a joyful vulnerability to my goodness. Tolzer says, the man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his own soul and looks away to the perfect one. 
This is embarrassing to say, but I, I had to say it out loud to myself. I think, even though I've taught my whole life that as God came into my life, I am a new creation, I am a new being, my nature is one that's made after the holiness of God and it's perfected in God, and my flesh is to be done away with and taken off, I think in my arrogant soul, I thought I could perfect my flesh. I actually thought I could change my flesh. I, I would never have said it out loud to me. I would have definitely never said it out loud to you. But I think inside, I thought I could just kind of make it better. And I would, many times I'd say, I'm 40 years old in the Lord and this is as far as I am. And what I was really saying is I would see a, a failure or a weakness or a sin and a continual sin and I would say, God, why am I not getting better at that? And what I think I was trying to do was I was trying to make my flesh obey God. I tell you to welcome your flesh for this reason. You're never going to change it. I remember one time Billy Graham, and it was in a smaller meeting, and I was privileged to be amongst a meeting where Billy Graham and, and a bunch of, I think, James Dobson and some people were all sitting, and they were listening to a guy named Vance Hefner. And Vance Hefner at that time was 95 years old, and he was preaching to Billy Graham. And they were in a pretty small group that was pretty confined. And, and, uh, and I don't know if it was Billy Graham or one of the people said, Vance you're 95 or 96 years old. How did you get a handle on lust? And all of them said, yeah. And he says, I haven't. <laughs> At 96. But he said, to walk in the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. I think it's important that you understand you can tinker all you want and try to change your flesh and you will be miserable. Accept the fact that your flesh wars against the spirit and learn to practice the presence of God and walk in the Spirit. If you learn to walk in the Spirit, the verse says that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Closing, oh my goodness. Quick closing, this is one that I think is huge, and I think this one is very pertinent to this congregation of people. And I think this has to do with repentance and forgiveness. Not only that you're forgiven and that God has forgiven you and cleansed you from everything from the past, the present, and the future. And by the way, I don't need to go on that because that has been bombarded in this church. But true repentance is what God is concerned about. We have an entire congregation that if we were to define and show you uh, the weaknesses that you have had, the things that you have done, uh, how lightly many of us take the promises that we have made, whether it's at the altar in marriage or whether it is with our raising our children and, and pledging them to God. We have seen so many things that it's just amazing when we look at it. Rather than talk about those issues, I think the heart of victory in our lives is if there is a repented heart. A heart that basically begins to identify with God that I was wrong and you were right and I want to turn from this behavior. I find it very interesting that in Scripture, whenever God begins to take delight in a person, it wasn't ever in a person that was doing it right. It was always in a person that had messed up, but he had a repented heart. 
You remember the story I've told you, or the story, it's the verses where God says that I, you look at the heavens and you marvel at these stars and the moon and how the sun never burns itself out and you marvel at those things. Do you not know that the heavens is my throne? I not only made them, I sit upon them. And then some of you, he says, you marvel at the, the earth and the rivers and the mountains and all of the beauty of the earth. He said, do you not know that that is my footstool? I put my feet up and rest upon this earth. He said, but you know what delights my soul? A broken, contrite, repented heart. That's what catches my eye. Repentance is not just before God, it's before men. And you know how you can tell when people are repented people? They're quick to apologize. They're quick to say they were wrong. I've had spouses that have been married 30 years, and they said, I've never heard my spouse ever apologize to me. That just pierces my heart. If you do something and you find that it is wrong, God takes delight in a repented heart, and a repented heart is only possible when you realize that you have been forgiven. Then you can basically come and say, God, I agree, wrong again. I act in my flesh again, but I hate it. It creates such a godly sorrow in me that I want to turn from this. And that area there probably was one of the greater things in my relationships. If I do something and I have a offended Lucille, and I know it immediately, I want to go to her and say, I'm sorry that I offended you. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong in the comment that I made the other day. I was on my way up here today, just happy as could be, and something was revealed to me that I should not have done. And I said, you know what? Before I get up there today, God, I am sorry, and I'm going to have to make that right by the end of today. So would you pray with me while I go ahead and close as Tom comes up. Father, I know that many different lives here are going to have different things that they're going to have that you impacted their lives because we're all different people. Some of us were dropped down on the east and so we need to go west. Some of us were dropped down in the south so we need to go north. But I pray that somehow you would take these words and take the the work that you did in my life, and that you would stir into these people that they would keep their eyes open for the truths that you're wanting to build in their lives, and they would hold tight to those truths. Would you do that for me, Father? Would you do it for them, and would you do it for your sake? And it is with confidence I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Would you just sing the chorus to how great is our How great Sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. One more time, come on, lift it up. How great is our God, sing with me, how God bless you guys. Have a great, safe weekend. Don't blow your hand off with fireworks or whatever. Okay, bye.